Good morning, friends. How is everybody? Good. Ooh, I'm two for two on that one today. I like the energy. I'll take that. So we are continuing our series on talking about the heroes of the faith. And if you haven't kind of caught on by now, you'll, you, you're kind of realizing that every person that we've talked about so far has been an unlikely character that God could use in his greater story. And today, with Gideon, who we're talking about, who was a judge that we'll find in the book of Judges, we learn that's no different. He is an unlikely character, and I'll say that there's probably more things we can learn from Gideon about what not to do than about what to do. And so I'm gonna try to balance that um, as much as I can, but just as a quick history lesson to talk about where we are in Gideon's story so that we can talk about him and really dig into why he is a person of faith we look to. So I don't know if anybody has heard of the Bible Project. Uh, if you haven't, I encourage you to go to BibleProject.com. They have really cool uh, videos that provide a synopsis of each book of the Bible. They also dig into some really tough theological parts of Christianity, and they provide that in a really cool way. So I encourage you to check that out. But this is a picture from um, a snapshot from their video on Judges. And so at this point in the Old Testament, the Israelites have made it to Canaan. Joshua has reminded them, you are a people of God, you are called to be holy, you're called to uphold the Torah, and you need to continue to drive out the Canaanites. You cannot be in the same place as them. You've got to get them out of this land that God has promised for us. And so Joshua does this, and then Joshua dies. So they needed a leader, and so what happened is the leaders became the judges. And so before there were kings of Israel, there were judges of Israel. And so this isn't the judge that we would necessarily think about. We think of judges today as having the black robe on and having the gavel. This is not what a judge was over Israel, okay? These judges were more like battalion leaders. They were great warriors, and that's exactly who Gideon was. He was a warrior, and he was a good leader for the most part. And so before we go any farther, I want us to talk about Gideon. I want us to visit Judges, and I want us to learn how the Israelites in the book of Judges that we'll discuss totally failed with everything Joshua and God wanted them to do. Ah, huh, this is going to be fun. Okay, so let's read in Judges here about Gideon. Hear the word of God. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Gideon answered him, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. He responded, But sir... How can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. The word of the Lord, may he teach us something new about him today. So I wish I could say 
If you felt a little bit of a roller coaster ride reading that, get ready. It's going to be more of that with Gideon. And I wish I could say that Gideon said, yes, God, I'm in this. And then from that point on, everything God wanted him to do, he did. He never questioned God again. Everything was awesome. But alas, I cannot say that. That is not how this story goes. As a matter of fact, what would happen is Gideon would do a little bit for God. And then he would say, wait, I just, God, I need to know that you're really who you say you are, so I need you to show me a sign. And so God would do the sign, and then Gideon would say, okay, I'm going to do a little bit more. And he'd go, okay, wait, 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 I need to know you're God. I need you to show me another sign. And God would show him another sign, but then that sign wasn't enough. So he needed another sign. And so God showed him that sign. And so it's really cool, right, that God kept showing himself to Gideon, kept proving that he was who he said he was, and sometimes I kind of feel like Gideon is a lot like my five-year-old. <laughs> like, I just need you to do this one thing. Well, if I do that, Mommy, okay. So the whole point of this, the whole reason why God was calling up Gideon to lead the Israelites was to take over the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were originally in Canaan. They oppressed Israel for seven years. And now God is wanting to deliver them from the hand of the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were in the thousands. They were large. They were a lot of them. Gideon had an army of 300. So, in Gideon's defense, when you're looking at this kind of battle you're about to go in, I can understand why he would go, God, this is, this is impossible. This isn't going to work. I'm going to need a little bit more here to help me through all this. We, under, we can understand his doubt. We can understand that. But at the end of the day, what happens is the army wins. Israelite defeats the Midianites. The crazier part of that is how they did it. With a trumpet, broken pitchers, and torches. Where are the weapons? How in the world did they defeat the Midianites? Well, they went in at night. They scared them. The Midianites killed each other and retreated. This could only be a God thing, right? This could only be a God thing. So why did God want this battle to go this way? What was God trying to teach the Israelites? He wanted to teach the Israelites, it wasn't you that did this. It wasn't Gideon who did this. It was God who is the victor of this. God is the one. I am the one who delivered you from this. I am the one that gave you this victory. So they defeat the Midianites. The Israelites have won. They've taken over. And the Israelites looked to Gideon and said, you've been such a great leader. We want you to lead us, and we want your son to lead us. And then after your son, we want your grandson to lead us. But Gideon declined. He says, I'm not going to rule over you. My son's not going to rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And we go, oh, good. Gideon did the right thing. He pointed to God. He pointed to the true victor. He pointed to the one who had delivered them, who is their refuge, who is their strength. But alas, he just can't stop there. You see, the Midianites were very rich. They had lots of gold. And the Israelites had taken all that gold whenever they had defeated them. And Gideon looked at each Israelite and said, I want you to bring me some gold. And so what does he do with that gold? He makes an idol. 
happens to the Israelites when they get an idol in front of them? They worship it. Ooh, it's shiny. It's gold. Who's God? I want this. This is in front of me. Gideon used his words to point to God, but his actions provided something else for the Israelites to worship. Come on, man. Whiplash. You get whiplash with Gideon. Now, at the end of this story, we do learn that Israel had peace for 40 years under Gideon's reign, which was great as he was a judge. That's awesome. But this idol was a snare. It was a stronghold for them. It was a stronghold not only for Gideon and his family, but for every judge that would follow and for the Israelites. And so I'm sure by now you're going, okay, Ashley, was this guy really in the Hall of Faith? Is he really in Hebrews? And yes, he is. Tom would not leave us astray. I'm going to blame Tom for this one. (laughs) He is in Hebrews, and we're going to read about that now. And we're going to talk about why, okay, why is this guy in the Hall of Faith? Let's hear this from Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 34. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon or Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put armies to flight. We can hear where Gideon is in those. We know he was a mighty warrior. That's exactly how God addressed him when the angel of Yahweh showed up to him. We know he won strength out of weakness. It was 300 against thousands. So we can can hear the good things about Gideon in this story and how he is in the hall of faith. But if we go back one, we'll also see who he's kind of been grouped in with. Samson. And Jephthah, who's not as popular, but if we were to have a scale of judges from the book of Judges, and this being the best over here, this being the worst, Gideon is about in the middle. And then you got Jephthah, who's bad. And then you got Samson, who's worse. But yet, these are the judges that made the list, not the ones who were on the great side. Okay? And so... What is God trying to teach us through Gideon that the Hebrew writer would include these people in Scripture as being people of faith we look to? And there's a few lessons here, and I want to talk about those. So the first lesson is faith requires us to focus on God's abilities not our own abilities. Remember when I mentioned that there's a lot we can learn from Gideon about what not to do? We need to learn from those people too, right? Because we are those people. (laughs) So it's important that we learn from people like us. Faith requires us to focus on God's abilities and not our own abilities. When we first read about Gideon and he was having this conversation with the angel of Yahweh, who is most definitely Yahweh, okay? We've kind of learned that throughout Scripture. He used excuses. Every excuse he could possibly think of. Well, I'm the weakest. My tribe is the weakest. We're the smallest. This this isn't going to work. What are you thinking? He uses the excuses. And then he focuses on 
God deserting them. You left us. You, we've been in the hand of the Midians for all these years. Aren't you supposed to be the God who brought us out of Egypt? Where are you? You see, Gideon focused on his circumstances. He focused on what was happening in his life. He focused on what he believed were inadequacies of himself, which then turned into inadequacies of God. He didn't want to take any responsibility for the fact that the Israelites had put themselves in that position when they didn't uphold God's commands and they didn't run out the Canaanites like they were supposed to. He didn't want to take any responsibility for that. And that's exactly what will happen when we focus on our circumstances. We'll lose focus on who God is in our lives, who he's called us to be, children of God who persevere, who know that, yes, things are hard. I've probably made some really dumb choices that's put me here, but God is still with me. He's still trying to lead me in his way. He has not forsaken me. When we focus on God's abilities, we begin to believe the truth that his abilities are our abilities through the Holy Spirit. And the enemy doesn't want us believing that. The enemy doesn't want us to unlock that truth in our lives, to allow the Holy Spirit to live through us, that we're actually worthy of the Holy Spirit to be in our hearts to live in our hearts and let us go in that way. The enemy doesn't want that. He wants us focusing on everything, everywhere, except for God. Secondly, God has always used imperfect people with imperfect faith, and he always will. Why? <laughs> it's all he's got. <laughs> We're imperfect people. We're going to have imperfect faith. And when we read in this scripture about Gideon, about Jephthah, about Samson, we'll read the Spirit of the Lord was the one who empowered them to be mighty warriors, to be the leaders of God, to do the work of God. The, the power of the Spirit working inside them. A little faith, an imperfect faith, is all it takes, is all God requires to work through his people to save his people. That's all it takes. That's all he's ever wanted. That's all he's ever desired. If he can use Gideon and Jephthah and Samson... He can use us. He wants to use us. Do we believe that? Are we asking for God to use us? And not only us, but our leaders. Do we believe? Do we, do we learn from this Old Testament scripture and all throughout that God has used these leaders, leaders who were judged and cast out and made terrible decisions, do we believe God can operate that way today in our leaders? Are we praying for them? A moment of faith, 
a moment of belief. That's all it takes. Now the next lesson, we're going to go 10,000 feet and look at the whole Israelite situation at this time. This is, again, another snapshot from the Bible Project to kind of paint this picture for us. They did it much better than I would be able to do. So after Joshua died, we've recalled that they were supposed to continue defeating the Canaanites. They were supposed to continue pushing them out of Canaan. But we also know they did not do that. So you had the tribes of Israel living with these Canaanites who were so morally corrupt. They practiced child sacrifice. These were the worst of the worst. Terrible, evil people that the Israelites were living among. But they were called to be holy. But instead of taking on holiness, they took on the ways of the Canaanites. They allowed the Canaanites to influence them instead of influencing the Canaanites or just doing what God had said to do and running them out. They took, they took on the world instead of taking on holiness. Friends, this is a vital lesson for us to talk about today. Vital. It's vital for us to dig into this portion of Scripture. Not only for us today, but Jesus. Jesus even prayed about this specific temptation for his church. This is what he said. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Talking about his church, talking about his disciples, talking about the people who believe in him. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. Church, we are in the world, but we do not belong to the world. And because we do not belong in the world, we must be different from the world. This is a tough one. I've had lots of conversations, and I know all of us have been having a lot of conversation in this very divisive environment that we are living in right now. How do we love but disagree? How do we do it? Because it's on both sides. If you disagree, you're labeled, and you're on this side of it, and I want nothing to do with you, and it's just like on the other side. Well, if you disagree with me, I'm going to put you over there. It is a tough tough place right now where we cannot love and disagree at the same time. So how do we do this? Well, that's a whole sermon series. I wish I could give us an easy checklist. It's not an easy one, but I'm going to start with this. When we offer disagreement, we have to check in with the Holy Spirit. And we've got to say, when I come at this, God, am I coming at this with love? From a place of love? Or am I coming at this with a place of pride? I know better. I'm holier than thou. I mean, that's kind of a label that we hear a lot, right? Am I coming at this from a place of empathy? I understand where you are. I've heard you. I've made space for you. 
to share where I'm at. I want to share what I believe. Or am I coming at it from a place of ego? I'm better than you. I don't want to hear the rest of your story. I don't want to know where you are. I don't want nothing to do with any of that. If you're not giving space for people to hear, or you're not giving space for people to speak to you and honor their story, friends, you're not going to get a chance at that either. There's a reason why Jesus asked a lot of questions in his ministry. Questions provides a space for people to reflect where they are. And it provides a space for the Holy Spirit to be able to do what the Holy Spirit does best. And that's change hearts. That's convict hearts. That's transform hearts. We cannot do that. The Holy Spirit does that. But we do know truth. How do we know truth? How do we know God's truth? Scripture, right? If we don't believe that Scripture is God's Word, if we don't believe that that is God's truth, friends, we got nothing to stand on. Nothing. That is our truth when we believe in Jesus Christ and the work that He did on the cross. That is our truth. That is God's truth. And we share that out of love and out of empathy for other people so that they may have the opportunity to know that as well. In our culture, in America, it's do what makes you happy. But with God, it's do what makes you holy. We are not happiness seekers. If you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, to be happy. Jesus never said, do this and it's going to be easy and you're going to be happy and everything's going to be awesome. He was real with us. This is going to be hard. You're going to suffer with him just as he suffered. The world is going to hate you. Gideon couldn't take that. Gideon gave in to culture. He brought them to a place of peace. He listened to God and brought them to a place where God wanted them to be. And then just like that, he led them right back to destruction with an idol. Just like that. As Jesus' followers, are we leading people to Christ with God's truth? Or are we leading people to destruction by giving in to the world's lies? This is a tough one. It's a tough one. It's hard. And I've brought us down. I can feel it. And so I'm going to end on a positive note about something we can do that Gideon did. There is one thing I'm going to talk about that he did that we can do. But honestly, I do have to preface this by saying I'm not sure if we have this point because Gideon was brave or because he was stupid. But it's okay. We learn from our stupidity as well, right? So we're going to learn from Gideon wherever he may have been in this, in this story. And I love that this point comes to us on a day when we're celebrating communion and we have a renewal of baptism. It's awesome that we have this point from Gideon to learn from. All right, so we talked about at the beginning in Scripture where Gideon would take a little bit of a step of faith and then he would go, okay, God, I need to know that you are who you are. And he asked for these signs. But the crazy thing is, God did those signs. 
verbatim. He did every single thing Gideon asked him to do. And because of that, I can't help but deduct that because God did those signs that Gideon had asked, that Gideon asked those things with a mustard, maybe even just a mustard seed of faith, that God really was who Gideon believed him to be. Gideon's like, yeah, this is really God, and I'm just going to I'm just going to revel in this a little bit. See if he'll show me that he's really God. Gideon asked for those signs because he expected God to do them. Faith means when you believe in God, you expect him to be God. You expect him to do the impossible. You expect him to do the unimaginable. You expect him to heal when people have said there's no healing here. There's no hope. You expect him to provide when there's no way in the world that what you need or what is needed could actually happen. He took an army of 300 and defeated thousands with no weapons. That's who our God is today. Are we expecting him? When we walked in these doors today, were we expecting to feel him and see him and experience him? When we pray, do we expect him not only to hear us, but do we expect him when our prayers are aligning with his will that he's going to do it? And he's going to do it bigger and better than we ever could have even thought about. When we experience this renewal of baptism, remember your own baptism. And if you haven't been baptism, baptized, I'm all fired up up here. If you haven't been baptized, hey, right here, we got it. Don't think about it for another second. But do we remember that through that water, the Holy Spirit washed us clean? He claimed us as his own. We are children of God. And he is continuing every single moment to move through us. Do we expect him to move? When we come to this table, when God opens this table up for us with this bread and this cup and we take part in these gifts of grace, do we come with an expectation that the Holy Spirit is here, right now? That the Holy Spirit is affirming with these gifts that He's transforming our hearts and He is empowering us to be His truth bearers. The world ain't going to know the truth if we aren't living it. And he affirms that here, and he reminds us with the water. Jesus commissioned these great yet simple gifts, these simple acts, so we remember him. So we will grow in our belief of him and expect that he's going to do great, miraculous, amazing, awesome things. And friends, he's going to do it through us. Imperfect people with imperfect faith who mess up more than we get it right. We can judge Gideon all we want to, but we are Gideon. 
Let's prepare our hearts for this table. Let's prepare to accept God's work in and through our lives, and let's expect to experience God today. Ashley mentioned the word remember often, remembering uh, to be faithful. Today we uh, remember what uh, God did through Jesus Christ. We remember that he uh, gathered with his disciples in the upper room, and he had uh, taken bread in the context of the Passover meal. He uh, broke that bread. And he said, this is my body, uh, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The disciples uh, didn't so much understand fully what was uh, taking place, but they soon would upon the death and resurrection of Christ. We are in the aftermath of that death and resurrection. and We celebrate today the fact that Christ offered himself so that we might be forgiven, so that we might know and understand new life. Jesus uh, also took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for, for you and for many for the remission of sin. Do this also in remembrance of me. And so while the, uh, the cross is this divine mystery, we also uh, experience deeply the offer of Christ given for each of us to the end that we are indeed made new creations, forgiven, freed to be who God would have us to be. We remember all these things today as we gather around uh, this table to know and understand the very real presence of Christ with us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to come around this table. We praise you for the opportunity to rejoice in the very presence of Christ for us. God, we pray that these elements of bread and cup would be a participation in the body and blood of Christ. And as we uh, eat and drink, may we find our, our lives uh, revived and renewed. May we uh, understand uh, great change. Do with us what you will, Lord, we pray, as we gather around uh, this table. May we remember all that you have done as we uh, remember. May it be that our faith is built up to the end that we too are able to stand strongly in the midst of the world. This prayer we make in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We'll invite those who are uh, assisting with communion to come. And then we would ask that you would come uh, as uh, the Lord would lead. There'll be uh, ushers to guide you as we would uh, uh, come to the table today. We'll have a, uh, two stations here at the center. And then uh, once we uh, serve those in the center sections, we will uh, we'll move to this uh, outside aisle and, and serve those who are uh, to the left and right of the, of the sanctuary. May God bless us all as we uh, share together in this holy meal.